Hi, this is Emil, and you're listening to Behind the Decks. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks, a vent podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode is Arthur, who is one half of French house producer duo Funky District. Their Spotify profile describes their music as one that creates punchy and groovy house that will gently shake bodies from head to toe. And boy, do they deliver on that. They also happen to be pals of friend event and previous Behind the Decks guest, Pastel. So we're building a strong French connection here on Behind the Decks. Perseverance, juggling a full-time job, being taken seriously in the creative industry and the dark side of the music industry are all on the menu. Get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go Behind the Decks with Funky District. Arthur, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thanks so much for coming on and taking the time out of your busy day to chat with me over in France. Firstly, how are you and how are you coping with the general situation right now? Is the situation any better in France and, and how are you managing your mental health? Yeah, hi, man. Thanks for having me. Right now, I'm in Paris. I'm doing good. I think the situation right now is not going good because we cannot go out anymore the night. Which means that we only have to work during the day and at the end of the day, you have to stay at home. So this sucks. But on the other side, I think I'm doing good and uh, I'm mastering my music and I'm doing things that I love. So on this, uh, on this side of the things, I'm doing good. That's great, man. We've got so much to get on with and your journey is such an interesting one. And I'm such a massive fan of the music. So let's get started. Let's start the pod by talking about your music journey, Arthur, and how you came to form Funky District with Pierre. But before we do that, just tell me a bit about how your love affair with music began. Maybe what were some of your favourite records growing up, perhaps your music idols, and then how you first got into producing and playing instruments. I think that my mom and my dad used to play very good records at home. I've been listening to a lot of Shade, Dire Straits, Lou Reed, so a lot of influences from all over the world. I think it's quite the same for Pierre also. Personally, I started to pick up the guitar of my brother at the age of 14, I guess. And I think that was my first introduction into music. I have some idols from the UK scene, some a lot of rock from the UK, a lot of funk from the US, and a lot of world creations such as black music and a lot of bossa nova as well. So really a lot of influences. And growing up in France, would it be fair to say that the French touch or French house scene was something that inspired you? It was certainly previous Behind the Decks guest Pastel's grounding in music. Was it yours too? Yeah, I think all of us had the French touch albums at home, such as Daft Punk's Discovery, which is a huge album. But in fact, we started to really understand the music and what's behind the music just a few years ago but now it is really a big inspiration for us yeah let's talk about your producing and DJing journey and how Funky District began because your music delivers exactly what your name is where did the name come from and how did you meet Pierre to start this journey I think we met around 10 years ago from a common friend. We started a, a rock band together, but we first got into music production because Pierre took a scratching initiation, I guess. He talked with the guy and we discovered at the age of 18 
that you could just produce music with a USB keyboard, a MacBook and GarageBand. At this time, we just started to create hip-hop instrumentals. And how did you develop your skills as a producer and a DJ? I've spoken to a few DJs now and they're all keen to make clear how vastly different the skill sets are between being a DJ and being a producer. Were you conscious that you needed to be able to do both to succeed? And how did you develop them through Funky District? I think for us, the main thing to develop the skills is everything that you can study through YouTube. I think it's an endless goldmine. And I think nowadays you can do both. So you can be a producer and you can DJ, but I don't think that you need to do both. For us, we always wanted to explore the live scene because we came from a rock band. And the main thing when you have a band is to play live. So we always wanted to have live acts. And that's why we developed on both sides, the production side and on the live side. We really wanted from the beginning to have live performances. And what impact does producing and playing music have on your mental health? Is it perhaps escapism for you, something you do to let your emotions out or something completely different? Yeah, I think it's truly a way to escape the world, to take some time for you, to slow everything down. For me, I really feel it this way. In general, when you try to be creative, I truly think that it's a way to escape the world. And if you had to say which one out of producing, DJing or playing instruments helps you most with your mental health? I think I would say that producing helps me more with the mental health because you can basically start from nothing and have a track in just a few hours. Whereas when you practice the music instruments, most of the time you haven't something tangible at the end of the day. While when you produce a song, you can just listen to it. And so you have something at the end of the day. And that's why I think it helps me more. Just talk to me about the story behind you and Pierre's first gig as Funky District and how that came about. Where was it? How did you feel before you went on stage, during it and the aftermath? Did you feel any anxiety at all before or was it all enjoying it in that moment? So it was a festival in the south of France. So it's a festival called Les Plages Electroniques. So it was in Cannes, so big city for the cinema. And we played just in front of groups and bands that we liked, such as Jabberwocky or Flume. Actually, it was our first gig ever, but we didn't feel any anxiety. It was just super excited to do it and super happy to be there. And we really wanted to showcase what we worked on for long weeks. I think it was really good. We did a good job. Yeah, so on this day, Pastel, he was playing just after our gig. Yeah, it was a super fun day. Uh, we met so many people. It was also the first day that we experienced the backstage of a gig or a festival. And that's, a, that's the place where you can meet so many people, artists, technicians. So I think really it was really a, a good experience. Every producer or DJ also has at least one bad set in their life. Some even have two or three. Is there one set or performance that sticks out in your mind that you feel comfortable talking about? And if so, what happened? And more importantly, what did you learn from it? Yeah, I remember this day. So it was a small concert venue. We went on the stage, but when I pressed play on the controller to launch the music, nothing happened. So we were standing on the stage in front of people for like one minute. And hopefully we had a friend of us who was in the crowd. So I was trying to discreetly get him to call the sound engineer. So a few seconds later, he came back with the sound engineer, put the sound back on the venue. But during that time, everything was completely fucked up in our backing tracks. It was 
out of rhythm. So we had to suddenly switch to the next song. But starting like this, the rest of the set was really bad. So the, the golden rule here is do not rely on sound engineer on small venues. <laughs> but more seriously, I think you have to be prepared for everything and uh, really count the flops because it happens. So you have to be ready for this. And as you broke into the scene, was there a moment where you felt like you felt accepted or belonged in it? Maybe it was a nice text message from a producer, a great set that you did, or maybe even a compliment from a fan. Lately, we met a lot of people that are now supporting our projects, such as a booker or a team of mates who are working with us. We also played in a nice festival last summer with great artists. But I think on the personal side, I really felt accepted when the, one day we had a gig and our parents, they were there. And we saw them dancing in front of the stage. So it was okay. So now our parents, they like the music that we make. So I think it's a, it's a nice steps. And was that a really important moment for you, having that acceptance? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's an important moment. So the goal of a musician is to make music. And as soon as your mates and your parents, they like the work that you do. I think it's a big recognition. For me, at least it was a goal. And now I can say that I reached it. Let's talk about your discography as Funky District in a bit more detail now. So your first ever piece of work was a remix of Adele's Set Fire to the Rain in 2015, if I'm right in saying. Tell me a bit about that. And how do you look back on it now as your first piece of work? Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a great dig. <laughs> nice one. So uh, actually, I'm not so proud of this one, I guess. And we might delete it later. But yeah, as you said, it's our first ever made piece of art, I reckon. But at this moment, we was just trying to reproduce the summerish chill remixes that you had on the internet. So nothing crazy. And uh, at this time, the most important thing is that we did not find our own signature when we made some music. So I think it was a nice way to start to do things because you just needed an acapella and you, you could create a lot of things. But uh, I think we made some great things uh, after, after after this. You put out a couple of remixes after this and then you put out your debut EP. It was called Priorities and was a real progression on that chilled hip hop sound you were creating mixed with these vocal samples taken from soul records. It definitely wasn't the dance focused sound you're making now, although Hurry Up Now is an absolute toe tap and I've been grooving to that recently. Tell me a bit about how the EP came about. Was it a big moment for you both in your music career? And did you have any anxieties about it prior to it being put out? So I think this EP was the opportunity for us to show to other people and artists what we managed to do. So with this EP, we got our first deal with the label. Even though by looking at it now, I would not produce the song like this or mix the song like this. I think I'm still proud of what it brought to us in terms of gig opportunity, festivals, support from labels, artists, etc. So I'm still super proud of it, even though when I listen to it, it doesn't sound like Funky District to me. It was really a fun thing to do for us and also a way to show to people, okay, we put songs in an EP and this is something that we are proud of. So I think it was a, a nice way to show to our friends that we made music in a professional way. After the EP launch, it was then you had a really difficult moment and you were exposed to the dark side of the music industry. If you could, do you want to tell the listeners about this and the effect it had on yours and Pierre's mental health? Yes. So as I talked earlier, so we had a label. That label that we had at some point, so after two or three gigs, 
we just got ghosted by them. So at this time, we felt really bad because we started to think, okay, did we do something wrong? Or maybe they don't like the music that we produce anymore. So it was a big questioning for us. I think it, something may have happened for Pastel as well because he was on the same label as us at that time. So we had to do everything by ourselves. But the thing is that we still had some gig to do. We still had some song to release, but we had to do it by ourselves. And yeah, so we felt a bit abandoned. It was after that, I think we had a long period where we, we didn't release any songs and where we just, we forgot the music for a long period. By thinking about it, I think it's still a good thing because after this, we had to do everything by ourselves and we work so much on the music and on the business side of the music that now we can do things professionally and without anyone. It's really admirable that you spoke there about turning this negative into a positive and in life, if we can do that, we're always doing something right. It was actually after this horrible experience with your record label that you mentioned that you met Pastel and you started this really great friendship. Just tell me a bit about your friendship and, and how you support each other as artists when it comes to your mental health or perhaps problems you might need each other's help with. So I think this helped us to have strong relations within artists because we had the same experience with Pastel. I think we can still help each other on the personal side and on the music side. I truly think that nowadays there is a really supportive side of music because you can reach out to anybody producing or singing music and you can just do some collabs. You can also reach out to people who do some graphism and work with them for an artwork or for other things. So I think we assisted to a shift in the music industry and nowadays, everything is much more collaborative, which makes it so interesting and so fun because you can do everything by just sending messages and by talking to people. Let's fast forward to the reason we're chatting right now, Arth, which is your unbelievable new EP, Poolside Club. An Instagram ad sent me the live video performance you did for the track Dreaming. And if there's ever a body of work to make me miss doing nothing this summer, <laughs> it's this one. The production values are incredible i absolutely love the the letter holloway samples you use and every track is a absolute banger i recommend everyone going away and listening to it front to back when they're finished listening to this pod just tell me a bit about this project and how much work you've clearly put into it because after the experience you had with the last ep did this the new one almost give you a new lease of life yeah i think it did so after this bad experience with the label we had a strong break in the music maybe something around one year. And after this, we started to make music again and we felt that we needed something new. So we completely changed our process in making music. So we changed the instrument that we used, we changed the software that we used and we changed the music, basically. We wanted something fun, something that you can dance with. And we started to make music for the EP one year ago, I think. So we made the EP in something like one year. It was just so much fun to produce. We were dancing at each studio session with Pierre and we were really happy with the songs. I think this EP gave us a new lease of life and it gave us so much opportunities. So we now have our own structure to release songs and to do some booking for the live shows. And we met so many people and we had a lot of 
support from our friends, from our parents. And yeah, I think it's re it was really a, a really positive things. It was also the opportunity for us to shoot a video clip and live session. So I think it was really a good experience and maybe the best of my life. And what has been the feedback to the EP so far, either from fans or from other people? Has it given you both a self-esteem boost as artists and performers? And do you think it truly reflects the funky district sound that you wanted to create right from the start? Yeah, exactly. So I think the influences from the French Touch, as you talked about, all the other influences that we had at this moment, we really tried to put it into the songs. And the feedback from the UP were really good. And I think we managed to reach the funky district sound that we wanted. And I'm really proud of this sound. And I think we have our own signature. And that was the goal of the project, actually. Let's reflect on your music journey a bit now, Arthur. In the last five years that you've been doing this, how do you think you've evolved as an artist, a producer and a DJ from where you were then to now? And also, what do you think doing Funky District has taught you about yourself? So I think the progression was massive in the last five years. The thing is that we released music as soon as we had the opportunity to create music with GarageBand. We always put the music online. So as you talked before, with the remixes that we, we have done. So the bad thing of it is that we have music on the internet, which does not reflect the Funky District sound and the identity. But the good thing is that when we look at it and when we listen to it, we can really touch and feel the progress that we've made so far. I think we really have a consciousness regarding it. On the personal side, I think it just gives a boost in the self-esteem because I'm really super proud of what we learned uh, in this journey from the skills, from the human side, uh, from just the, the experience of this project. So I'm really, really proud of it. I'm always very keen on Behind the Decks are to smash the myth of the superstar DJ or producer. You balance Funky District with a full-time job. How do you balance both those occupations and your mental health as well? It has always been the struggle of our projects. Even when we were students, we always had to make music. So we always had to study during the day and to make music during the night or during the weekend. So we felt a lot of pressure and we had to give priorities to things. So on a lot of occasions, we were not there for friends or for anything because we wanted to make music so yeah we had to do some choice and even nowadays with my job it's still very difficult and tough so I have to make choices and I have to make music at night or during the weekend so it's still the same struggle five years after. I think it's always hard to balance everything and to keep the mental health as good as possible. And do you think that some of these realities are spoken about enough in the music industry and care or attention is given to artists who are genuinely doing this out of love and as a part-time thing? Yeah, I think that we do not talk about it. I think we talk it, but in the wrong way, because if you look at social medias and if you look at the social medias of big artists, you just see picture of them playing music in the studio or just relaxing on the poolside but you never see the other side of the artist you don't see the balance between the time where he has to work 
and why he has to be on tour in the planes or everything. I think the social medias do not send the right image of what it is to be an artist. At the beginning, you just see the good things. So, okay, I'm going to produce music and this is going to be super fun, but you don't see the black side of the industry. And just as a final question, Arthur, on this topic, for anyone wanting to get into producing or making music, what message or advice would you give them from your experience? I think the main thing is to just get going. Nowadays, it's super easy to just produce music and you don't need anything, just like a keyboard and a laptop. But I would recommend as much as possible, dig into the personality of the people and see, okay, what do I want to showcase to people in terms of sound, in terms of values, and to build your projects around these things and try not to reproduce other people's sounds or other people's values and try to just get your signature. We've talked about funky district let's go behind the decks and talk about your own journey in a bit more detail arthur so firstly why don't you talk me through your early life in france your childhood maybe your teenage years and looking back were there any early mental health experiences during this time who's the arthur that we meet here yeah so i come from the french riviera so in the southeast of france i think my childhood was made of just sun, beach, friends and everything good. So we really tried to reproduce the lifestyle of the Los Angeles vibe that we you can see uh, in the movies or in the rap movie clip. But on the other side, it's a very poor and very rich region at the same time. So in this region, I felt that the key to success in life was just to have a lot of money, to have a nice car and a nice house, because it is what most of the people have. But I did not grow in that kind of environment. For me, I didn't want to have this kind of key success. It was not an objective for me. At this time, I started to develop, I guess, mental issues because I felt that I was not evolving in the right environment in terms of objectives and in terms of mean to reach this objective. We get to university now and you managed your studies whilst learning your music trade and honing your craft. How did you manage both alongside the stresses that I'm sure come with everyone's university degree? Because you also did a master's as well, if I'm right in saying. Just tell me a bit about this period of your life. So as I talked about earlier, it was really difficult to manage the studies and music production on the other side. But apart from that, I think that the years that I had studying were the best because, in fact, you have a lot of time to spare making music or just hanging out with friends. And it's just so much fun because I've been to studying to in nice cities with nice people. And in fact, the master that I did... so. We studied a lot regarding marketing and how to found a business and that stuff. And I think it really helped me with my personal project. So in the music or even in other stuff, because it's truly, okay, I need to live with my music. So how do I do this? And how do I sell my music? And I think this did was, this was something really interesting. So I guess that period of life was really great and really full of good moments. And I think it's always a good thing to make studies 
because you just learn so much with the courses, but also outside of the courses. So uh, yeah, really great period of life. We mentioned there about your upbringing in this French Riviera town. You told me off air that no one there makes any money off music, let alone make a living off music. And you were expected to take this more traditional path in life, like you said. What expectation was that like growing up and then being a creative person in a world which perhaps didn't value you as much? Was that difficult for you? Yeah, I think it was a bit difficult. So we did not have any friends who were making music, uh, who were making money with music. I did not know anyone in the music industry. The same for Pierre. At this time, it's really difficult because you don't have anybody to show you the right way to do things. And it was difficult because at this time, when you talk with your friends or with your parents and they ask you, okay, what do you want to do later? And you answer, okay, I want to make music. They do not find the right path to succeed and to reach this goal because you don't have any music school. You don't have any labels in the city. I think it's really difficult and it puts a lot of pressure and you have to find other ways. So making studies and uh, working is the traditional path and we had to take it but besides this making music so yeah I think it was a lot of stress and also we had some difficulties to see the objectives and to see people helping us with our music projects. Another thing that you mentioned to me off air Arthur was the difficulties you've had in separating and managing your music life and your private life. Could you just tell me what you meant by that? So you have to study during the day, you have to make music during the night and at the end you feel very tired and you start to mix everything up. And I think to properly make music, you have to dedicate some time to do just music because it's an art and I think any of the art requires to have some inspiration and you need to be clear in your ideas. And it's really difficult to be clear when you have a lot of things to study. You have the pressure of the studies and you have the pressure of your music. It's really difficult to feel safe and to feel in a safe space to craft your art. One thing you also said to me off air, Arthur, was this idea that when you first started doing music, at least, some of your friends and family weren't as supportive as they are now. If there is anyone listening to this podcast and might know someone who's a musician or part-time musician, what are the right things they should say to support them? And what are the wrong things that they shouldn't say to them? Yeah, I think the key is to be true when you are a friend to an artist. So we had a lot of friends and uh, people surrounding us that just shared our music or liked our music, but we couldn't have their advice or their opinion on the music. And I think the true thing to do is to really say, okay, this is what I like in your music. This is what I, I don't like. Maybe this is what you should try to do. And it's just by having the opinion of your friends and of people that you can progress in this industry and where you can really master your skills. So during a long time, we just had friends who told us that they liked the music, but nothing more. And it's really hard to have a true opinion of it and to really master and progress. Our final topic of conversation, Arth, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general chat 
about our mental health. So firstly, you can include circumstances or exclude them if you want. How would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? I think the mental health is good at the moment. So I'm in a safe place with nice people. I think I'm really doing great. So I don't have any more the pressure of the studies. I'm starting new projects. So I'm really feeling good. And if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues or conditions do you live with, if any? And how do they affect you in your life? I think I've always been an hyperactive person while being really shy in public. I think it's resulted in me just boiling inside but showing nothing on the outside. It developed a lot of stress and I really have to do some sports and do some music to keep the balance. But yeah, I cannot just sit on a chair for like hours. I just need to move and to do things. So this was something that I had for a long time and I still have it now, but in a much more diminished way. And what age do you think you were when you first started to have these feelings and you realized they weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? I think very young, I guess. My parents forced me to do sports at the age of four. I think it was karate. (laughs) And you couldn't practice at this age because it's just too early. But when the coach saw me just running and just fighting, he said, okay, I I think I can take it. And I was just fighting with people that were six or seven and I was four. So I think it was very young. But at the age of eight or 10, I felt that I was kind of hyperactive and that I needed to, yeah, just express myself. And when did you have that first conversation with someone about your mental health? Was it with a friend? Was it with a family member? And what was that like for you when you did? I think it was with my parents. They felt it since the beginning. I think it was really okay to talk about it because they are super supportive and because they are just super open to talk to anything. So it was okay and I didn't feel abnormal. So it was, uh, yeah, it was okay. And what things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health? So this could be something that someone says to you. It could be being in a certain social environment. It could be a sound or it could be a sensation. I think that I have a strong opinion and beliefs regarding ecology, social issues, and yeah, maybe politics. I always feel angry and stressed when people just expose their opinion without arguments, or they just expose their position, their social position, maybe, or they make the apology of, you know, the capitalism without any reason. I think it truly has an effect on me. And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't? To me, sport is awesome. I can really find a way to escape those issues that I may have. It can be any kind of sport. It's just a way yeah, to release dopamine and to calm down. Music could be passive, just listening to music or active and practicing an instrument or any form of art is a way also to calm those things and to just cool down. I think food can be a way to escape and those issues. On the other side, I tried a lot to meditate, but for some reason, it doesn't work for me. I would love to succeed. You know, when you do some meditation, the goal is to escape from your body and to see your body in the room. And I I would love to do that, but I just cannot because when I try to meditate, I close my eyes and then I start to think about so many things. (laughs) I, I would even say that I have some musical ideas when I just close my eyes, so I cannot do it for the moment. 
And how do you support friends in your own social group, Arthur, who may have mental health issues themselves or might be going through a poor period of mental health, whether that be men or women? Yeah, I think the key is to, you have to try to be present for your friends. You have to care about them and you have to discuss as much as possible with them. It could be any topics, but sometimes when you talk with, with somebody who is not feeling well, at the beginning, he or she doesn't want to talk about the issue. But at the end of the talk, maybe he or she would say, okay, but I also have this thing. So I think it's always a good thing to release emotions, to put words on issues. And yeah, so just you have to try to call your friends as much as possible and talk toxic masculinity is a big topic on this podcast Arthur and I hope during the course of these pods and vent that we make it a minority amongst men what would you define as toxic masculinity and what examples of it have you experienced in your life that you can share with the listeners I will define toxic masculinity as the act of showcasing men characteristics but in a negative way and maybe in a disrespectful way so to me one example would be when i was young and i was growing up on the french riviera so many people some of my friends parents the perfect example is the dad who has a big car for no reason uh, suit and tie who is just showcasing that it's good to make money it's good to have a nice job it's good to work for corporations and in fact behind this i could truly felt the toxic masculinity because if you dig a bit you can see that the man is just dominating everything in the couple such as the decision of the couple even the values and so many things. I think growing up in this environment, I just felt that it was not the things that I wanted. Last year, I was living in Berlin. It was just the opposite side of what I knew in terms of human relations, in terms of what is the goal of a life. And I met so many people and I talked to many people. In fact, I truly think that it is a city where you don't have or maybe in a, just in a small amount, toxic masculinity, because it's just the culture is like this, and it's just that people care about each other. And yeah, it, it was really a good experience for me. And now I think it had an effect on me, and I truly like to search among the people that are surround me, which one of them are toxic, and in which way can I help them with this. And why do you think it's important that we as men open up and try to normalize the conversation around mental health? Yeah, I think we had to think about it. What examples do we want to show to our children? And what kind of lifestyle do we want to show? What kind of values? I think as men, we need to show the good behavior to have and to develop. We have to say that it is okay to feel emotions, it is okay to cry, it is okay to anything, to love. I think as men, we have to be the example because if we do not do it, women won't be able to do it for us because it has to come from us and we have to show that, uh, yeah, it's okay for men to feel emotions and just to show love to people. And just finally, Arthur, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health if they want to? I think the first thing that we could do it is just to put on the stage people who talk about this topic, so the toxic masculinity and everything surrounding this. We have to put on the stage LGBT people. We have to show that there is not only one way to think and to act 
And yeah, we have to show that the world is not just black and white. There is everything in between. And I think there is love everywhere. And we just have to highlight it, showcase it. So I think I would recommend some diversity in the politics environment or in the people that you can see on the TV, on the medias. We have to put some diversity and we have to diminish the importance of the toxic masculinity that you can see on the social networks, the medias, and we have to put the right people at the right place, I would say. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Arthur for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go Behind the Decks with him. My favourite Funky District record, Body and Soul, will play us out and I'll put some links to where you can follow Funky District on social media and stream their music in the description of the pod. I promise you, you won't regret it. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give us a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, or if you're feeling generous, write us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks and remember, it's always okay to vent.